This is Guns and Butter. At the end of the day, when I was finished with uh, certain parts of the investigations, it was clear to me that there's no way PTAC could have done all of this without a lot of inside help. And that's what I began focusing on, that it was a cutout, that it was a front. Was it a regular CIA front? Was it a clandestine front? What was it? You know, there are walls within the FBI, walls within the CIA, behind which these operations take place. And who is behind those operations, you know, is a key question. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Indira Singh. Indira Singh worked on Wall Street from 1975 until June 2002, when she was summarily terminated due to her investigation into computer software company, P-Tech. On 9-11, Indira Singh was working as a senior consultant for J.P. Morgan Chase. She was tasked with developing a next-generation operational risk blueprint which would proactively identify exposures, including money laundering, rogue trading, and illicit financing patterns. It was in this capacity nine months later that she sought to subcontract with software engineer P-Tech to design a next-generation risk blueprint for J.P. Morgan Chase. Today's show... Ground Zero 9-11, Blueprint for Terror, Part 2. In Part 1, she described her work as an emergency medical technician at Ground Zero and began to describe her professional work for J.P. Morgan Chase and her first client meeting with software engineer P-Tech. So, Indira, how did your meeting with P-Tech, how did that go? Well, they came a little late. Immediately, there were some issues with how the day would proceed. For instance, they showed up without the agreed-on software in hand. The most important thing about it is that their chief scientist, Dr. Hussein Ibrahim, came. He's an Egyptian-American, and he had a, a very good reputation in the field, very bright, someone you would like working with, very knowledgeable. But they had showed up without the software, and what I had done was isolated a workstation, took it off the net, after all, we were testing uh, whether the software would meet our criteria, and if I had said it did, then that would be a big deal if it subsequently couldn't. So I needed to start with an out-the-box version of PTEC. They didn't bring that, and Dr. Ibrahim said, that's not a problem. We can develop the demo on his laptop. And if you know anything about these things, that's like a no-no, because at the end of the day, he's walking out the door, and I don't have anything. And he's walking away with pretty much enough of how we're thinking about doing operational risk. Now, operational risk is about how to spot bad things that are going on in a financial institution, things like rogue trading, money laundering, and so on and so forth. And it's very subtle. Our intellectual property, at least what J.P. Morgan was hiring me for, was to think innovatively out of the box for the next generation how do you proactively design a blueprint to spot these things? And that's pretty big. He's definitely, people are smart enough to get an idea, oh, they're thinking of going down this road. That's a big deal. So I was a risk person, so I'm very aware of not to expose our intellectual property or that of the company I am consulting for. I'm very protective of that. So they showed up without the software, and um, that was a huge enough red flag that I began paying attention to them. 
a couple other things went on, and within half an hour, I just walked over to the same people who had recommended them and began calling, and I said to one of them, I have the PTAC people here, and the reaction was not the reaction I would have ever expected. It was, what are they doing on site? And I said, well, you recommended them. And they said, no, um, you should have come through a distributor, an American distributor. And I said, uh-uh, J.P. Morgan reserves a right to work directly with the company, and besides which, they are a preferred vendor of IBM, their preferred vendor for program, and that's the way we work. We don't work through small distributors. If we're going to go with this software as a standard, we're going to go right to the source and make the agreements there. So I said, what is the problem? And uh, basically, this person said, don't let them out of your sight. And that's when my stomach sank. So you have to understand how all of a sudden I'm beginning to see these people in a different way because when they said, don't let them out of your sight, I have a Middle Eastern company there and we're taught not to discriminate. And that was not something that I was about to do. And uh, to prove that they were there being evaluated. So that is never uh, you know, going to be a bone of contention, although later people made that an issue. But if I had a problem working with a Middle Eastern company, they would have never been there in the first place, much less before Ground Zero closed. And no problem whatsoever having them up there. I like the idea. What do you mean uh, P-TECH was a Middle Eastern company? Well, that's what subsequently was revealed in the phone call, that their financier, their funders, their investors were all Saudis. And I said, so what? Um, and they said, one Saudi has been placed on the U.S. terror list October 12, 2001. And I said, um, it got very quiet. I said, you better have proof of that because having thrown that into my lap now, this is not something that I can ignore. I have to follow up on it. This is not something I can ignore or pretend would go away or have someone else handle. This is risk management at the highest levels of one of the largest banks in the world. It is my responsibility to deal with this. And I said, how can I get proof of this? And that's when they started saying, you need to talk to Jeff Goines, who was one of the only three people in PTEC who knew of this relationship. You see, it was that well hidden within PTEC. And so I subsequently called Jeff Goines and I said, well, if this is true, did you not report this? PTEC is a private company, so this relationship would have been privy only to those on the inside. I said, did you report it anywhere that someone who has been placed on the U.S. terror list is key funder, angel investor to a company whose software is utilized at the highest levels of almost every government and military and defense organization in this country, including the Secret Service, the FBI, the Department of Defense, the House of Representatives, the Treasury Department, the IRS, the U.S. Navy, the U.S. Air Force, and last but not least, the Federal Aviation Administration. Are you saying these were all P-TECH clients? These were all P-TECH clients. And when I was evaluating them, I was pretty impressed. Why not P-TECH? Exactly. They're being used at the highest levels of all of these organizations. So I was very excited about using them and having their software be able to be at the heart of what I wanted to develop. And I had no reason to believe that if they were in use everywhere at that caliber, that I would have a problem. They're also used in Enron, perhaps. I should have thought twice about that, but um, they're at use in IBM, of course, and the top accounting firms, and even in the FBI. 
in MITRE. What is MITRE? MITRE is a large company that does specialized technology for defense and intelligence. You would not expect to have an exposure with a company that was so well entrenched and embedded in these kinds of organizations. So what about the meeting? Then did they leave? Is what no, happened? because um, basically my position was until I had proof, I could not react. That would have been very unprofessional of me. And so I thought of a number of scenarios that could be going on at that point. I thought it might have been, you know, competitiveness, out of control, distributors wanting the J.P. Morgan account. It could have been anything. However, the one thing that was true is that the chief investor, uh, Sheikh Yassin Qadi, was indeed placed on the U.S. terror list because while I was talking to them, while they were still there, I checked out a website that had a list of everyone who had been placed on the terror list. The missing piece was, of course, proving that Sheikh Yassin Qadi was indeed affiliated with PTEC, was an owner of PTEC because it was a private company. You could say that anybody was an investor, any bad guy or good guy was an investor. Proving it was another thing. So I let everything ride, but I kept an eye on things. And in fact, we did have a presentation that went very, very well, because in no way, shape, or form was I going to jeopardize that. So what happened next? Did you go on working with them, or did you start to investigate PTEC? Well, I continued multitasking. I was working with them. I placed a few phone calls, and people got back to me later that day while they were still on premises. So I was able to separate the concerns, accomplish the task, evaluate the software anyway, start the phone calls to start getting more information. Then my report would have been, this is the software. It's used everywhere. It can do what we want it to do. However, we have this issue with the company and present that to my superiors and let them decide. Then did you start investigating the company? Yes. What happened next was um, I spoke with Jeff Goins, and he told me that basically not only was Yasin Kadi was an investor, but that a Jakub Mertza was on the board of directors, and he had been the subject of Operation GreenQuest. Many of his Herndon, Virginia vehicles and companies and financing companies had been raided in March 2002. And again, that uh, Mertza was on the board of directors. As we spoke, other names started to come out. My head was pretty much spinning at this point, and I said, have you reported any of this to the FBI? And the answer came back, yes. So I wrote a report to the FBI, and um, I said, okay, if the Boston FBI has been told, I need to speak with people there because it's not just my group that's evaluating them. It's so many other groups, but I couldn't believe that if this was all true, that PTEC was still being used by the Department of Defense. There's something a little bizarre about all of this. And really, I was beginning to understand unwillingly that the world was was not the way we thought of it. Now, this person that you were discussing this with, Jeff Goins, Goins yeah. w- was he an employee of PTEC? Yes, he was. He's one of the key people at PTEC. He held several important positions. He had traveled to Saudi Arabia, and he had met with Yasin Qadi, and he had met with most of the investors. He, his last position was vice president of sales, which for a small company is pretty significant. He worked with PTEC, helping build the company for five years, and he was the one that was based in Virginia, who was responsible for getting a lot of the um, government accounts with of course, um, Osama Ziadi, who was the president. Osama Ziadi is a Lebanese-American. 
who, according to Jeff, got a citizenship under very questionable circumstances, which involves the INS. Now, this is all according to Jeff. So at some point later in the week, I had decided to go down to Virginia and meet with not only Jeff, but a number of other PTEC and ex-PTEC employees because this was beginning to sound like a Tom Clancy novel and I needed proof. I told them I needed emails, I needed documents, I needed hard evidence. But in the meantime, within a day or two, I had contacted my rep at IBM and I said, I need to walk outside with you and talk to you about something. If you guys are thinking of getting seriously in bed with this company, I would suggest that you do some background investigation so that your clients like J.P. Morgan and myself don't end up in the situation. His name was Kyle Hilligos. Kyle told me that he, quote unquote, wrote a book report and sent it to his legal department. And he was told to just back off the whole the whole thing. In fact, he would didn't want to have anything to do with me as I continued investigating. Jeff did get the agents at the FBI, the Boston FBI office, to call me back. And with Kyle listening in, so it wasn't just me reporting on what Jeff had said, we spoke to the FBI agent who had picked up the information that Jeff had reported on PTEC when Yasin Qadi was placed on the terror list in October 2001. Remember, this is eight or nine months later. So my question to him is, if you have an investigation that's ongoing, that's fine, and we don't want to get involved with it or impede it in any way. But in the meantime, this country's infrastructure is seriously exposed, and I cannot, if any of this is true, cannot. And I need some some evidence, something that you can give me to, to hang my hat on it when I report this, that this is true, that this isn't just someone making a terrorism report, you know, um, but that you know that this is true. And, and basically what he said is, Indira, you're in a better position on the, outs- on the outside to get the proof that's needed than I am. And I asked him to check with his supervisor. I said, do you understand how serious this is to have a company with, with this alleged terrorism connection at the highest levels of corporate America and the U.S. infrastructure? And I said, if you don't know, I need we need to make you aware of this. He apparently went to a supervisor, and his supervisor had said that the position wouldn't change. Now, the Boston FBI office, you can check this out, was rated as one of the worst in terms of corruption and I believe the Whitey Bulger incident. The connections between the FBI and, and the mafia have been, how should I put it, extremely well explored in the Boston FBI office, the ex-governor of Massachusetts, I believe, Anyway, this mob character, Whitey Bulger's brother, was in a very high-level political position in, in Massachusetts and Boston. And in fact, if people were to read Peter Lance's book, Cover Up, he explores it very well and backs up a lot of what I had found here, the interaction between organized crime and the FBI. So... When they said they weren't going to proceed, I... And by they, you're talking about the FBI. The FBI. I said, I need something to hang my hat on. And so he sent me a videotape. And the videotape, which I have here, the substance of the videotape was a news clip. It was a news clip of a CBS affiliate based in Boston called WBZ-TV. And their investigative reporting team, the I-team, which was led by investigative reporter Joe Bergantino, had investigated 
a number of Middle Eastern men who were sought after 9-11. They were affiliated with Muslim Islamic terrorism financing charities. He had created this clip to show the connection between the 9-11 terror attack and the financial vehicles that were supposedly used to fund it. And what he did was very interesting. He connected, the I-team connected Care International, not the big Care International, but something called Care International that was based in Boston, all the way back to Al-Kifa, which was the financing vehicle at the center of the World Trade Center bombing in 1993, all the way back to something called Maktab al-Kidamat, which means the office, which was a financing vehicle that was set up by the CIA for the Pakistani ISI back in the days when Osama bin Laden was America's fair-haired boy and was on our side fighting with the Mujahideen, fighting the Soviet Union. So the question to me was, my goodness, when I saw the videotape, what is Maktab al-Kidamat doing being run out of PTEC? on 9-11. And the reason I say being run out of PTAC is that the faces in the videotape were the faces of core employees at PTAC. Now, remember, this is a small company. There were only one or two people who had access to the source code in PTAC. And that is a very trusted position. And he was one of them. His name is Suhail Laher. The people who started Care International some of them were actually on an FBI terror watch list prior to 9-11 in Boston. What do you mean by the source code? Well, all software products has um, some group or organization or person writes code that is then packaged up and, uh, for instance, the word processor in your desk, the spreadsheet and so on and so forth, the browser, is all written in some sort of code. Those are the keys to it. And if you wanted to improve it, add new functionality, you would change the original code and add new functionality and then repackage it and send it out there. So whoever had access to the source code of PTEC, that was where the value was. If you lost the source code, you essentially lost the product for all intents and purposes from a marketing point of view. So only one or two people would have access to the source code. It would be like having the formula for Coca-Cola, basically. Now, let's go over that a little bit again. Now, you were talking about the Care International and some other funding groups that have been, what, funding international terrorism. That's correct. And also have been funded by what? The CIA? Well, the original, the roots of um, Al-Kifa and Care International, if you look at it, were way back in the late 80s, around the time of Iran-Contra, for instance. Maktab al-Kidamat was set up so that monies could be passed to um, Osama bin Laden and the Mujahideen when they were fighting the Soviet. Now, I won't go into a lot of detail, but it ended up that Osama bin Laden took that over and was running al-Qaeda through that. The connections to the Pakistani ISI still stood. The connections to the CIA still stood, not in the way that was originally set up, but through a black or a gray operation. That had been later confirmed to me. At the end of the day, when I was finished with the certain parts of the investigation, it was clear to me that there's no way PTAC could have done all of this without a lot of inside help. And that's what I began focusing on, that it was a cutout, that it was a front. Was it a regular CIA front? Was it a clandestine front? What was it? You know, there are 
walls within the FBI, walls within the CIA behind which these operations take place and who is behind those operations, you know, is a key question. Now, people might say, oh, this is all conspiracy theory, but I would like to remind people that conspiracy is very much recognized by the United States Federal Code and it's called RICO, racketeering and influence. And it, it is very much recognized because there's so much power in these organizations that they have rules in place. For instance, the DCIA, the director of CIA, cannot, after his term of DCIA, subsequently run for vice president or president, which is what happened with George Herbert Walker Bush. That rule was bent for him. He went on from being the DCIA to running for vice president. That's a no-no. I'm speaking with 9-11 whistleblower and risk technology architect Indira Singh. Today's show, Ground Zero 9-11, Blueprint for Terror, Part 2. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Well, it sounds like you're describing an interlocking relationship then between this software company funded by Saudis Mm -hmm. and funded by whomever, the United States government, U.S. corporations, and then known groups globally that are accused of staging terrorist attacks. It's all of a piece. Yes, absolutely. And one of the things I want to say is maybe those organizations don't fully know who their masters are. And PTAC is is the one thread, the one golden thread you pull on. All of this is unraveled because it goes into the corporations. It goes into um, um, these uh, government entities. It goes into the terrorism financing entities that were, that none of which have been, oh, by the way, taken to task. And um, there are just so many questions about what, does this all mean? And as we investigated, as I investigated further, we found that the in the origins of PTEC were very interesting. Where did this company come from, obviously, is, is the first question. And um, how did they get to be so powerful? Who were the people? Who were the organizations that brought them in? Who knew? Who gave them the power? Who, for instance, signed off Ziadi's U.S. citizenship without doing background checks? Who said that they had a bad feeling doing that? Who gave them um, influential um, – uh, I remember that PTEC's um, competitors, U.S. companies, were extremely annoyed at the fact that they could not get equal time, that all the plum contracts were going to a foreign-owned company. And I said, well, did you know they were foreign-owned? And if they're foreign-owned, they couldn't get certain classified um, projects. And and he said, Indira, everyone knew. Some of them, some of the competitors said everyone knew that, um, th- that they were Saudi-owned and that meant that they got uh, fav- favorable um, treatment on in Capitol Hill. And I said, well, are you saying that um, they just got favored treatment or if there was something more going on, they wouldn't answer. Their lawyers instructed them not to answer. So they knew a lot of what was what was going on. Who, who, who were you talking to about this? Well, in one particular case, I was talking to one of their competitors, um, Popkin Software. And, um, you know, I have no problem naming names because... I think that in the memory of 3,000 U.S. civilians who were and worldwide civilians who were murdered, if we are going to wage wars and spill blood around the world, 
we ought to take a look at this and just have the truth come out because um, the truth has not come out. It, there's been a lot of speculation. There's been a lot of um, innuendo, but there hasn't been hard proof. And PTEC is the one situation where you can get hard proof. When we investigated PTEC and the people behind it, where they came from, we found out that one of the founding members was a man by the name of Solomon Behari. He was one of the founding directors, and he had put together a vehicle called BMI, which stands for Baitul Mal. Now, BMI was, you know, identified as being involved with terror financing, but this is just not going to be the Muslims hate America. That's not what it is. There is something else going on here. They're being used as a tool, just as the good people of the United States are being used, are being misled into and frightened and terrorized into if we don't wage these horrific wars, you know, our way of life will be over. Who benefits from that? What else did your investigation of P-TECH turn up? Didn't you meet with several employees or former employees of P-TECH? Yes. It goes back to when all of this was being revealed to me. Now, this is the last week of May 2002. The last day or June 1 or so of 2002, lo and behold, out of nowhere, the Chicago FBI enters the picture. We have Agent Robert Wright, the Chicago FBI, who's giving congressional testimony. And um, he stands on the steps of the Capitol, bursts into tears, apologizes to the 9-11 families, victims, that he didn't do everything he could to prevent 9-11 from happening, that his investigations were repeatedly shut down. And I almost fell over because he announced that his investigation was the investigation into Yasin Qadi, the same Sheikh Yasin Qadi who was the money man behind PTAC. And um, you could not ask for a more direct connection to 9-11 than that. I will even discount the fact that some XPTEC employees told me that when I went to see them, I presented all the terrorist faces and whatever, and they had indicated that they had seen some pass through PTEC. In fact, one or two had mentioned that they thought one of the hijackers had actually passed through PTEC. And I said, did you report this to the FBI? Can you tell me when? Can you get evidence of it? Can you get litigation quality evidence, something that would stand up? Whatever you can get, give it to me. Make copies. Give it to the FBI. I still thought they were on our side. The FBI, you mean? The FBI. In fact, and this has to be made very clear, there are some extraordinarily real patriotic Americans and good people in the FBI, as has been said by, I believe, um, Agent Colleen Rowley, one of the FBI whistleblowers, bosses, that there's a wall in the FBI. And this has been validated to me by various attorneys in Houston who are very close to the power bases and are pretty ticked off at what's happening in this country and are speaking out, as are many CIA agents who are very concerned that it has gone too far, as are many NSA agents who are concerned that it's gone too far, and FBI agents. So we have a lot of people who are speaking out. They've kept quiet too long. They're afraid. They're afraid of what's happening to this country. And when I say the Third Reich, what is happening to this country, they say, and I will identify they if pressed, they say will make the Third Reich look like a Tea Party. I guess we have that many more billion people to control on this planet. And when you say they say, are you referring to people that you've spoken with in the FBI? 
Absolutely. Within the FBI, then the CIA. One of the things I didn't want to have happen is that when PTAC was finally raided in December 2002, something that took all of six months, a tremendous amount of agony to have happen, the White House, Ari Fleischer, spun it to find sugar that day. He said, oh, there's nothing wrong, nothing here, nothing to see here, everything's fine. So they did a token raid, and that was basically it. But everything that I have done since that time has been for one reason and one reason only, that there may come a time that people will find the trail to PTAC, and it won't be hidden or buried. I've kept it alive whether they renamed their company and moved on, I want to keep the names, the details, everything alive, no matter what I have to do, so that should there come a time for justice and accounting for 9-11 and for what's happening in the world today, it makes it easier for other people to unravel the truth. So I have gone to the mainstream press. I've gone to people on the left, on the left of left, on the right, on the right of right. And I've talked to them face to face and said, this is wrong. Whatever your political inclinations, this is wrong. This is criminal. This is murder. This is worldwide atrocity. And I have reached some very good people on the left and on the right who are willing to speak out about PTEC. I've contacted the alternative press. The alternative press has, like very much like the nine blind men and the elephant, they touch a piece of PTAC, they understand it, and they say, well, this fits my theory of how things went wrong. I have no problem with that because the facts are the facts. If someone wants to spin it to fit their particular viewpoint, for instance, from the wilderness has said that, well, the software that's in PTEC is very much like Promise, the prosecutor's management information system that was has a whole cargo cult behind it of these legendary capabilities. Well, maybe back in the 80s and 90s, it was legendary, but today you can do pretty amazing things with software. It's not a big deal. But anyway, from the wilderness and uh, Mike Rupert, for instance, thesis was that Dick Cheney was running an alternate command and control center that day confusing everyone. And in fact, there were four war games that were going on on 9-11. And um, who knows why the fighters weren't scrambled in time? Who knows all of this? In fact, the fighter to Pennsylvania was scrambled in time because we have firsthand proof, you know, whistleblowers within the correct organizations that that was shot down. You know, it's just that Let's Roll was a better story, perhaps a story that the American people could handle. But no, I was told at at Ground Zero that day, we heard them go over and we knew they were shot down. We were told it was just later that it, we were told, well, the passengers brought it down. Well, if you're running a country and you're really under terrorist attack, that might be the way to go empower people by saying, if this bad thing happens to you, get up and do something and have a story. I really don't have such a big problem with that, but the fact of the matter is it was shut down. Oh, and that's interesting. And you heard that on the day of September 11th. Yes, I did. And it was corroborated a couple of weeks ago by people who were in a particular situation room. Did you want to say anything more about about, that? uh, Well, it is possible that there was an alternate uh, command and control system that could you technically use PTEC software to do surveillance and intervention? Well, gosh, yes. That's exactly what I was planning on using it for in the, one of the largest banks in the world. 
that's not a problem. So if someone wants to make it their thesis, I have no problem with that. However, I can't say for sure that that was going on because I don't have direct firsthand you know, knowledge of that. No one has told me and offered me proof of that. But could I state that it could happen? Absolutely, it could have happened. Was it necessary for it to have happened in order for us to have a 9-11? I don't know. I don't think so. Maybe, maybe not. That's not my point. The towers came down, 3,000 people were killed. And what I know is the characters behind the funding of it were totally in bed with characters in the United States, and not only just for 9-11, but going on throughout our nation's history. And the big question is why? What are they up to? Could you describe the relationship of PTEC with the FAA? Now, PTEC worked with the FAA for several years, didn't yes. they? Yes, they worked uh, the FAA. There was it was a joint project between PTEC and MITRE, and they were looking at. <laughs> it's interesting. They were looking at basically holes in the FAA's interoperability with uh, responding with other agencies, law enforcement, in the case of an emergency such as a hijacking. So they were looking for the escalation process, what people would do, how they would respond in case of an emergency, and find the holes and make recommendations to fix it. Now, if anyone was in a position to understand where the holes were, PTEC was, and that's exactly the point. And if anybody was in a position to write software to take advantage of those holes, it would have been PTEC. Explain what interoperability is. Hmm. Most people are familiar with eBay, and you know that it's a collaborative bidding situation. You bid for a particular item, a certain amount of time passes, and the winning bid is selected according to certain rules. And once the winning bid is selected, then something else happens. Then something else happens. thing is bought, and then it's taken down off, off eBay. Well, these are a sequence of steps that occur. It's a process, and it's a process that a lot of people are familiar with. So everything we do involves a process. Now, if eBay had one huge, gigantic computer, these processes would take place on one computer. However, interoperability comes into play when you jump computer systems or organizations. So for instance, what if eBay had to pass on some information to PayPal? PayPal is a separate operation. They have their own computers. So they have to come up with a way to handshake, to agree on when this happens at eBay, so-and-so will happen on, on PayPal. That's all interoperability. So it happens on a business process level. And it also happens on a system transaction level. Hey, you know, PayPal says, hey, well, you send me this in this format. I'll expect it and then do this with it. That's all interoperability. It operates on a technical level, on an information level, and on a business process level. Now, with the FAA in particular, if something goes wrong and there is an emergency with a particular flight and the Department of Defense needs to be notified, well, that's a really major interoperability thing. A signal has to be sent in some way, shape, or form, either mediated by a human in most cases or automatically. Or even if it's mediated by a human, something has to be initiated on a separate computer to start a whole other sequence of events, intervention, scrambling a, a jet, notification up and downstream with many other organizations such as NORAD, such as other terminal radar areas, such as local law enforcement, such as you name it. So this all has to be blueprinted, mapped out, and um, that's where enterprise architecture comes in. You need some kind of blueprint to keep all of this together, and that's what PTEC was so good at. 
Now, was there a reference to P-TECH having operated in the basement out of the FAA? Yes. Now, typically, because the scope of such projects are so overarching and wide-ranging, when you are doing an enterprise architecture project, you pretty much have access to how anything in the organization is being done, where it's being done, on what systems, what the information is, and you pretty much have carte blanche. If it's a major project that spans several years, the team that comes in has literally access to almost anything that they want because you're operating on a blueprint level on a massive scale. So, yes, they were everywhere, and I was told that they were in places that required clearances. I was told that they had log-on access to uh, FAA flight control computers. I was told that they had passwords to many computers that you may not on the surface think has anything to do with finding out holes in the system. But let's say you said, okay, you isolated a part of a process of a notification process that was mediated by a computer, and you wanted to investigate it further, then you would typically get log-on access to that computer. And from that, back upstream or downstream. So who knows? You know, from my own experience, I could have access to almost anything I wanted to in J.P. Morgan Chase and didn't for the reason I, if anything went wrong, I didn't want to have the access. But if you were up to no good as an enterprise architect with such a mandate, you typically could have anything you wanted access to anything. What do you think of the claim by the so-called uh, 9-11 Independent Commission and the testimony before it in their mm-hmm. report? The in- intelligence agencies didn't know how to talk to each other. What did you think of their so-called report? Um, completely flawed. Governor Kane was the second choice for the head of the commission. I believe Henry Kissinger was the first. Governor Kane had, oh, by the way, done business deals with BMI, Solomon Bahari, PTAC, none of which came out, which he should have volunteered and either recused himself as being ahead or have it out there in the open. There were three other members of the commission who had similar kinds of um, relationships in the past, and um, they were all on the team. But their findings were so flawed. They're using an excuse Yes, there are inter- there are interoperability communication issues in any organization. Yes, they are, but in a case of an emergency, it doesn't get that bollocked up. Unless, of course, Rupert is right and Cheney was running interference somewhere, or someone was running interference, or whoever. You know, we don't know. But um, there were four war games, four simulations going on the morning of 9-11. And I just want people to remember that the whole nature of what MITRE, which is also they develop software for intelligence, which includes the CIA, MITRE, and PTAC, would have, if they were going to test whether they had fixed these holes, would have probably run a simulation. I don't know that they did, but that's how we do things. But there were four of them going on. So was there room for confusion? I don't think these people were stupid. I think they were deliberately confused, if anything. Well, we know very well that there was a simulation of the very event taking place during the event, right? Yes, there was. And I believe there's proof there was more than one, just in case the first one didn't confuse people enough. So 
what does this say? I can be very objective about this and say, well, the terrorists knew that there were war games scheduled for this day and they took advantage of of it and called 9-11 the particular day. However, we do know that 9-11 had been selected uh, prior. Okay, so then maybe the war games were set many weeks prior for 9-11. And you can play this game over and over and over. Yes, it was the perfect day. And yes, you needed inside knowledge. And yes, PTAC with all its myriad associations would have had the inside knowledge. And yes, PTAC was a CIA front. And yes, PTAC was protected. So was it an inside job? You don't have to look at this indirectly. This is direct. This requires direct investigation. I'm speaking with 9-11 whistleblower and risk technology architect Indira Singh. Today's show, Ground Zero 9-11, Blueprint for Terror, Part 2. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Well, that was what I was going to ask you about your investigation of PTEC. You have pretty much come up with evidence that, of course, PTEC was a CIA cutout or front or whatever. That's correct. I had this validated to me by ex high level people within. Within And in fact, during my investigation, when I was reaching out to the people that I had worked with, because remember, I did do work for a small company called the Interoperability Clearinghouse or the ICH, and they were DARPA funded. And they weren't a DARPA company. They were DARPA funded. They got funding from many, many organizations, including Boeing and whatever, because they were providing a wonderful service software. And we were seeking uh, funding from Incutel, which was is the IT-seeking arm of the CIA. Now, when, interestingly enough, the funding decision was supposed to come through on September 12th, I am not saying that it would have come through, but after 9-11, there was no funding coming through on, on 9-12. So subsequent to that, I was picking up the pieces and still remaining in contact with that group and trying to form another group and company while I was working at J.P. Morgan after 9-11, while we were going through the environmental nightmares that we were going through, I was still trying to pick up the pieces of that life to create a really good risk blueprint to prevent the kinds of things like 9-11 from happening to us. And I was pretty ignorant about a lot of this inside clandestine betrayals. What happened, I kept in touch with a lot of these people. When PTEC fell into my lap, I did reach out to them. I said, can you tell me if what I'm looking at is true, is real? How could it be real? And one of the people that I reached out to did work for the CIA, and he said he could not discuss front office operations. And I never knew what he meant by that. But anyway, subsequent to that, there were two or three points down the road that I had higher and higher level confirmation that it was being utilized. Eventually, I came across a report, actually the FBI, Twin Towers investigative report, that the FBI had commissioned a private investigator to do on certain people. And in there, it was so clear that, I mean, even the presence of Care International, whose roots were in Maktab al-Kidamat, that was glaring. And that they were all over every place in the U.S. infrastructure, you do not get that without very high-level help. And that's what the vendors, the competitors of PTEC had said. Everyone knew. They were given carte blanche, open 
And this was a separate company in Washington, D.C., that you were doing some work with prior to September 11th. Right. uh, That got some funding from DARPA. Right. Interestingly enough, I did not uh, let people know that it was PTAC until maybe August 2002, this ICH, the DARPA-funded group. No, we had pretty much moved on. And um, I accidentally let slip in August 2002 to one of my colleagues there that the company, the name of the company that was being investigated was PTAC. And um, she was horrified because she said they're everywhere. And I said, yeah, fancy that. Wonder who put them there. They didn't get there by accident. PTEC came about in 1993, actually. They were reformed in 1993. That's when Yasin Qadi had invested in them. What happened with the raid that the FBI staged on PTEC? Well, what happened was... When I took all of this information back to J.P. Morgan, after Agent Wright had appeared on the steps of the Capitol, then I went down to Virginia. I got all the information together. I had the PTEC people actually write it out. So it wouldn't be Indira says. It would be this is what they put together. And I had emails, documentation, photographs, the photographs that flew around the world that was plastered all over network TV that's what I got from these people. And I interviewed a bunch of very scared people. What is going on? The FBI knows about it and they're doing nothing. What is going on? What do you think this tells you? And I didn't want to go there without proof. I wasn't going to go there. Really what I did and the most powerful thing I think anyone can do is not just to make an accusation or get a little bit of proof which can be hushed up and denied, but I took what I had to everyone before PTEC was ever raided, before it ever became public, I took it all the way up to the top of the FBI. I took it everywhere. And the reality of the situation is proven by the response I got there. More telling than the actual deed itself, their response to that is really what indicts them all. What was their response? Um shut up and go away or you will be killed, basically. Now, you got that response from all different levels in government. Uh, I got that response from J.P. Morgan. I got that response from PTAC. I got that warning from people within the FBI, uh, mostly the FBI. See, when the Boston FBI sent me that tape that Joe Bergantino had run the story on, and I looked at the tape, and it was all PTEC people that, you know, basically are affiliated with PTEC that they were looking for. I was really scared, and I contacted Joe Bergantino to tell him I've been threatened. People have been in my house. I'm a 9-11 survivor. I can't back down on this, and that if anything happens to me, the story that you did— Back in December, November 2001, did you know that these people worked at PTEC? He said, we had some suspicion we didn't know. And I said, well, let me tell you what PTEC does. When I went down there and I spoke to them in June 2002, they thought I had a flower pot growing out of my head. They didn't believe me at all. I said, you've done the original story. You just don't realize they're connected to corporate America and the government in this way. So what they did is they initiated their own investigation. And their own investigation, they came back to me and said, we're sorry for having doubted you. It's not only as bad as you said, it's much, much worse. 
And um, they and said, this is the investigative reporter, reporter right? Uh, their their whole team. This is CBS. Oh, by the way, and um, a CBS affiliate. So they had interviewed me and taped me. And um, this is now August two thousand and two. They had said that um, we are going to run the story on the one year anniversary of nine eleven. And I begged them. I was horrified. Please do not. Do not delay. Get it out now. And they said, no, it's not going to play well in August because everyone's on vacation. And I, I was banging my head against the wall. I was in tears. And I said, they're going to shut this down. People are going to talk. They're going to find out about it. And they're going to shut you down. And sure enough, they did. There were seven networks that were had caught wind of this story. And they shut down the investigation. Their excuse was that, hey, you know, yeah, PTAC is everywhere. We don't want them to be all of a sudden. They said, you know what? We have to find out that if we do anything to them, what will they do with our infrastructure? Which was complete baloney because they had known all along. And they were, even as I spoke out at that time, they were being evaluated for use in Homeland Security. You're talking about PTAC. PTAC, yeah. So, so much for their little trite little excuse about oh, yeah, gosh, we we let this one slip through for like almost a year, you know, but now that we're aware of it. See, and that's why in my making other people aware of it, they were aware of it at the highest levels all along. So they can't suddenly pull that and say, well, you know, they could impact national security if we suddenly raid them. They were being evaluated for use in Homeland Security. So we knew it was a cover-up at that time. And... Um, I was very concerned that they weren't ever going to raid PTAC, that no one would ever know this would never be made public. If I had spoken out about it, I could be sued. Where is your proof? You've told the government they've done nothing. You've told the FBI they've done nothing. I then embarked on my own campaign. I had written a report, and I had a pretty good email list of people in, in D.C. And I said, you know what? I'm going to send this report exposing PTEC and their connections to terrorism to 10 chief information officers, chief technology officers a week until PTEC is raided. And I began calling people. And I began sending things out. I began scheduling appointments and showing up instead of talking of enterprise architecture. I was talking about, well, what software do you use? And I watched more people's face turn absolutely white. I watched people almost get physically ill. And I watched them circle the wagons. And I'm talking about major chemical companies, major energy companies, and the CIO, one of the CIOs of the Department of Defense, whose Pentagon meeting I interrupted. Um, to talk about PTEC. Yeah, the line went dead. But within a week after that, PTEC was raided, and Ari Fleischer said, there's nothing wrong with the company. And I watched my life go down the drain. But... So what about PTEC now? I mean... Oh, they renamed... Yeah, they... I apologize. They're still in use. They're still, they're still going? Absolutely, but they've renamed themselves. They're called Go Agile, and they're still going. Nothing – when we try to find out what the status of the investigation is, we've been told alternatively that they've been cleared or it, it, it's still in limbo. Nothing definitive has been done. Solomon Beharry had been arrested, a minor slap on the wrist. And what kind of a response did you get from J.P. Morgan Chase, your employers at the time, when you went to them with what you had found out about PTEC? 
Well, they had told me that I should be killed for getting all this evidence. Uh, I, w- I was intimidated. I wrote a letter to my boss saying that I had been intimidated, and the person who intimidated me, the third highest ranking person in the bank, the general auditor, had said this has gone all the way up to the top, and they were very aware of it, and that they were going to explicitly deny PTAC being used at J.P. Morgan Chase. In fact, they would even explicitly deny the URL to the website so that no one could even look into them. Of course, now the name has changed, so we wonder what's going on there. But when he asked me, where did you get this from and that from, I was basically thoroughly intimidated. They treated me as though I was a bad guy. That's what happened. They treated me as though I was a bad guy for having dug up all of this stuff. And you were told by the chief auditor at J.P. Morgan Chase that the the di- different individuals that you had gotten this information from should have been killed? Yeah, yeah. And um, you have to remember that I, I pointed to down the street, I said, I lost people there. And he said, I lost people there too. Look, look, you know, this is is about 9-11. I put it in a folder labeled 9-11. And um, it, got, it got pretty ugly from that point on. Basically, he said that if he... He needed to be sure that I would never mention PTEC again. And um, I said, here's here's a problem. I'm a, I'm a senior consultant. I consult with a lot of people. You may deny PTEC business here. What happens to Citibank? What happens to Goldman Sachs? What happens to the rest? He said, that's not my problem. And I said, that's why we have that whole hole in the ground up the street. It is everyone's problem. In fact, Director Mueller of the FBI said that preventing terrorism was everyone's problem. So... You know, I'm just going along with an FBI directive to the general population. And um, and so I had written a letter to um, Wilson Lowry, who at that time was his right-hand administrative person, who was an ex-CEO um, of IBM, Wilson Lowry. Wilson Lowry turned out to be the one who came down hard on Colleen Rowley for being a whistleblower. <laughs> so guess what his politics were on on PTEC. As a senior consultant with J.P. Morgan Chase, were you on a consulting contract or were you an yes. employee? I know. I was on a consulting contract. However, I had a 10-year relationship with them. I was given tasks there that were not given to employees, to even trusted employees. I was given responsibilities way above and beyond a lot of other employees. I was given pretty much carte blanche to think out of the box and do things. And I was funded out of a strategic fund called Lab Morgan, where they experimented with new ideas. So I had a lot of latitude, and the people I reported to were on the board of directors and a very senior level. They trusted me, keeping their best interests at heart. I think exactly um, my behavior around a P-TECH was entirely predictable and in line with someone who held a light for risk and integrity in in business dealings. In fact, one of the colleagues said, of all the people whose lap this would fall into, you're about the only one with enough latitude to not look the other way. And so then what happened? Was, was your contract fired. your contract canceled? Summarily terminated. You were? Yeah. And when did that happen? June 28th, 2002. And you stayed on in New York City then through 2004? Right. I stayed on in the same apartment. I reached out to friends of mine in the FBI who I asked them what was going on. They, I got pretty close with one of them who understood who was on the counter 
terrorism team, the Northeast, and was part of the A-team, so to speak. And he looked at what I was looking at. I passed a lot of my information through him, and I said, am I crazy? Please tell me that I'm crazy. I'd rather be crazy than this be true. And he said, nope, and it is worse than you think. So he validated a lot of things. He could not break any rules, and I wouldn't let him because he was my friend. But he helped me see and interpret things So one of the most powerful things I could have done was to push this through the system and see how the system responded. And it's the system's response that indicts them in the end, just as the system's response to the EPA, to the environmental disaster in lower Manhattan, indicts them. If this were a true terrorist attack, you would have been seeing pictures of our lungs all over national TV for years to come, metaphorically, that sort of thing. You never saw what it was really like. So basically, after I got thrown out of J.P. Morgan, my attitude was, as soon as everyone knows what P-TECH really is, and they understand that it was for real, all will be forgiven, and I will be back in business. And um, that sure didn't happen. And I'm not sure even at this stage whether I want to be involved with anything to do with corporate America or the government, because look at what's happening. I'm looking at the people that are being put in place, like Negroponte, director of Intel. I'm hearing the inside response to that. I know where he comes from, what his pedigree is politically. And one by one, we're seeing the handwriting on the wall. And most people are looking for exit strategies. You might say leave the country, go to France, go to Canada, but there are no exit strategies for this. All of this stuff took money to fund. And it was funded through um, major financial crimes, money laundering and looting. We call it looting, looting of the SNLs, looting of the banking system, and what, what we're in the middle of now, which is the looting of Social Security. And this is all being done, the looting of HUD. Uh, it's all being done systematically to keep the slush funds up for the game at play. Where do you think this is headed? Not any place good for people. And it isn't just going to be America. It is going to be global. Well, Indira Singh, thank you very much. Thank you, Bonnie. I've been speaking with 9-11 whistleblower and risk technology architect Indira Singh. Today's show has been Ground Zero 9-11, Blueprint for Terror, Part 2. Indira Singh is a private pilot and a climber. Prior to 9-11, she volunteered as a civilian emergency medical technician until she was injured at Ground Zero. This interview with Indira Singh was recorded in person in April of 2005 at night in the KPFA studios in Berkeley. At that time, she was conducting an investigation into P-TECH. Guns and Butter is produced by Bonnie Faulkner and Yarl Mako. Email us at faulkner at gunsandbutter.org. Visit our website at gunsandbutter.org where this and other programs are archived. Words of wisdom.
a sniper trying to steal your life. You know what I'm saying? Look what this side just dealt.